Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to have a really great segment with the legendary producer Don Was and WDET's Ann DeLisi. We're going to be talking about the music of 1967 and songs of rebellion, July 23rd mark the 50th anniversary since the 1967 uprising here in Detroit. Music played a role in the cultural awareness of the uprising and, of course, of the cultural awareness of that decade, the tumultuous times of the mid to late 1960s. Don was as somebody who has a lot of thoughts about uh, the music that came out of that period, as does Ann DeLisi. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you, the listeners, during that segment. What do you remember about the music of 1967? What do you remember about the music of the late 1960s? What did it mean to you? And did it help frame your perception of the things that were going on. So about half past the hour, we're going to get to that. But it is Friday, and on Fridays, we wrap up the week's news and invite somebody in to do that with me who maybe sees the world through a little different lens. In that role this week is Anthony Forlini, former Republican state representative from Harrison Township. He is now operations manager for Macomb County Public Works. Anthony, welcome. welcome Good to morning. Today. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, so you are working with Candace Miller, who I have to say uh, is another uh, Republican uh, official in the state who I have tremendous respect for, even though I think she's wrong about an awful lot of things. Uh. Uh, <laughs> she's very good at her job, though. Uh, but but let's talk quickly about uh, Macomb County Public Works. When when Candace Miller told me she was going to run for that job, what she said was, this is a part of, of government where I live that is broken, and I want to get in and, and fix it. And then almost... Immediately after she gets elected, a giant sinkhole uh, opens up uh, in a part of the part of the county and swallows up people's houses, almost uh, making the point that uh, that she made uh, in dramatic fashion. Talk about the things that you guys have seen in public works in in Macomb County uh, since uh, since you took over. Sure. Well, Steve, I got to tell you, there's very few people I can ever consider working for. Candace is one of those people that are, is hands on gets the job done, put everything aside, what do we need to do to fix the problem? And she's she's that person. Uh, we've seen her uh, in, in staff meetings and whatnot, very engaged, knows, uh, very quick learner, learned yes. all the issues throughout. And the thing that we found interesting was the amount of neglect that was going on throughout the county. And this isn't just a Macomb County problem. It's uh, When you talk about public works, Oftentimes it's an ignored issue. It's things that are underground. It's drains. It's things that people, there's no sex appeal to it. But what we found was there's, there, was, there was years and years and years of, of lethargic management of these, uh, of what we consider very important. Both Candace sure. and I live in Harrison Township. The waterways throughout Macomb County, Oakland County, and part of Wayne County actually flow through Macomb and flow through our backyards. And... Uh, we need to clean up that entire system back behind the rivers, behind that, the drains, and make sure that they're clean so that when it finally hits the, the, the Clinton River and hits Lake St. Clair, it's uh, 
we've done our best to make sure it's a it's a better product that is in our drinking water. Yeah, uh, you know, as you said, this is an issue infrastructure that people don't think a whole lot of on a daily basis. I mean, you go th- you go through your daily life flushing the toilet, turning right. the faucet on, and expect that everything's going to work the way it's supposed to. But there is a lot of effort and a lot of investment that is required to make sure that those things work the way that they are supposed to. And we, we're really behind on that in we this are. state. We are. In order to live in a civilized society, we have to invest in these things. We have to invest in our infrastructure. I've always been, even in the legislature, I've been a big infrastructure guy because I believe if we are going to attract people to the state and we're going to retain our kids in the state, we need to have a good infrastructure, things that work. Uh, nobody wants to go to work through potholes and roads that are falling apart. Nobody wants to be worried that when they turn their water on, it's it's going to taste funny. It's going to taste, you know, uh, like it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an expectation. We go to our beaches. Our beaches are going to be clean. Nobody wants to go on vacation uh, to a place that is polluted. So it's important that we take care. We have some of the greatest resources in the world here in Michigan and certainly in Macomb County, and we've abused it for so too long, or we've ignored it, I should say, for too long. It's not being ignored anymore. We're starting to see the legislature uh, take some action. We're starting to see, uh, certainly at the local level, we're really putting a focus on cleaning our drains, making sure that the illicit discharges are, are being eliminated. Uh, we found just since we've been there a couple of fairly significant discharges into drains that uh, were illicit, just yeah. uh, toilets flushing into drains. Right, right. Uh, you know, it, there's nothing like a good sinkhole to get people's uh, attention <laughs> on this sort of thing. And that, no, we had a big one. That big sinkhole, but but you were saying before the show that, that, that these sinkholes happen pretty frequently. Maybe they aren't as large sure. as that one. Sure, sure. And those things happen. You know, sewer systems... Uh, at, at some point will fail. There will be a leak somewhere, and, and then it starts swallowing up the ground around it. Uh, most don't have the, the sewer size that we're seeing uh, here. This 11-foot uh, yeah, intercept. I mean, they just don't have that yeah. in other places. But but it happens, and, and they have to be repaired, and they have to be taken care of, and that's part of maintenance. And we're doing uh, quite a bit of televising the pipes right now to see if there's any infiltration, some of the smaller ones. And we're finding things here and there, and we are taking positive action before there's a problem. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you want to join the conversation this morning, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Anthony Forlini, former Republican state rep from Harrison Township. Also former uh, Harrison Township supervisor, That's right? right. That's uh, right. The same job that Candace Miller had one, once upon a time. Uh, he's here wrapping up the week's news with me. We're going to talk about Donald Trump Jr.'s emails political fallout from that. We'll talk about the health care debate in Washington and we'll focus on Medicaid, which is one of the one of the programs that is in the crosshairs, I suppose, uh, would be the way to, to, to state that in the in the Senate bill. <clears throat> we'll also talk about the two hundred million dollars in tax incentives that are on Governor Snyder's desk to attract manufacturing jobs here to Michigan. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Anthony, uh, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all Republicans these days. What is going on in your party? Wow. <laughs> we got this president who, who I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm being facetious there a little bit. Sure. Uh, but but I, I do think that there's 
a substantive question to be asked about the effect of Donald Trump's behavior and uh, and the things that he says on the idea of republicanism, on the idea of conservatism. Uh, and each week as we learn a little more, I guess, about uh, what might have happened last year with regard to, to uh, com- communication between the campaign and the Russian government, uh, when we learn more about the way he's sort of treated people around him, it always makes me wonder, is this a problem that reflects something uh, that's off in the party, in the ranks of Republicans or in the ranks of conservatives, or is this just – a, a strange extrusion from all politics uh, and and is is just about the personality that we're dealing with here. I think you hit it right there. I believe it is the personality. You know, Don, Donald Trump is a guy that is his own man, always has been his own man. And Donald Trump is, the, is a person that is really taking his argument to the American people through his Twitter. And, and, uh, like it or not, that's who he is, and he hasn't backed down one bit. And you know, he he gets a lot of criticism for some of the things he puts out, but that's personality driven. You don't see across the party these kinds of things happening. Uh, not that it's good or bad. That's just who he is. And so I, I think that uh, you know, there's times when I see something he puts out, and I kind of wince myself and think, man, why would he put that out there? Well, he's you know, like I said, it's it's personality driven. And I think many Republicans might think the same thing that I just said. You know, it's just it's personality driven. He is uh, he has been a CEO his entire life. He's been accountable to no one other than himself. And um, and so from that standpoint, I think you got a guy that is charging ahead in his own fashion. And I think he believes that he's appealing to the American people, certainly people that have voted to him for him. Yeah, let's talk about the week's news, though. Donald Trump Jr.'s emails. And the political fallout from that, even conservative publications, conservative commentators have talked about how this places uh, the knowledge of these interactions with uh, the Russians in a different space um, than, than, than the things that we had had seen before. Uh, talk about what your reaction was to, to what we learned this week and, and what do you think this is a, an administration that may – genuinely be in some in some legal trouble well you know from what I what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've read is uh, his his uh, somebody went up to a son uh, one of the some Russian attorney or in, <laughs> I guess she's an attorney I don't yeah, know <laughs> yeah and, and and she uh she says hey I got some hot information on Hillary you want to hear it great let's hear it you know what um, I think the American people at least from my just on first blush would think, is there anything there? But wait a minute, wouldn't I do the same thing? Wouldn't somebody, if you know you have something in a campaign, I'm not talking about as president, but in a campaign, uh, you have some information or the ability to get information about your opponent that might be damaging to your opponent. uh, Would it be wrong to say, I want to hear? Would it be wrong? I'm not sure that it would be wrong to want to hear. The question is, was there a deal made? Was there some something else out of that? I haven't heard that. All I heard was uh, he had a meeting with somebody, and he was hoping to get 
some hot information on his dad's <laughs> opponent. Well, and, and that does. I mean, opposition research is a part of every sure. every campaign that I've heard of, at least in the last 20 or 30 years. At the same time, if somebody came to you, though, and said, I've got something on your opponent, and that person was an agent of a foreign government, wouldn't you think differently about that? Or wouldn't you, wouldn't you pick up the phone and call the State Department and say, hey, you know what just happened? Somebody... Some Russian agent just uh, offered me information about our election. Somehow that doesn't seem like it's uh, like it's okay or or it's normal. Yeah. If you put in the context of agent, is this a KGB or is it just a is it a business affiliation? Is Even it, if it's a representative of that, government. if it's a representative of the country, you know, I I don't know. I think if it's something, would I be ears? I would be ears. I would be all ears. If it's something that was really uh, ill-gotten, if it was something that was. Beyond that, then I think you you have a very strong point. But I think from a very, I'll even say from a very naive standpoint, you're in a you, your your background's not politics, and I understand he had some advisors that were. Um, I, I think that there's a temptation, very strong temptation, by any of us to say, "I want to hear what they have to say." Yeah, I want to really? hear what they have to say. Really, see, I I don't know. Somehow, for me, the the nature of the interaction would have would have stopped me cold. I think I would have said... You're a seasoned veteran. <laughs> well, well, okay, I mean, maybe, but I've never run for public office. Uh, and also, um, you know, this is someone running for the highest office in the, yeah. in, in the land. And, and is it okay that uh, he says, well, you know, I just didn't know. I didn't understand how those things work. I mean, maybe for his son... That might that might pass muster, but uh, inside that campaign, it seems like somebody should have said, "There's something here that doesn't that doesn't look right." Well, it, you know, and you're not going to know if it looked right or didn't look right. Maybe when things come out, when other other issues come forward, maybe I could change my mind on it. But I think the average American looks at it as, "Hey, this is just the way politics works." This is this is the way really? politics oh. works. Trying to get trying to get information on their opponent and. Uh, it, w- it wasn't like they were digging for it. It just came to them. Right. So, yeah. all right, what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? All right, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Anthony Forlini, former Republican state rep from Harrison Township, now operations manager for Macomb County Public Works. We're wrapping up the week's news. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. We were talking about Donald Trump Jr.'s emails, the political fallout from those. We're going to talk about health care next uh, and then we'll talk a little about tax incentives. I'm really curious about uh, Anthony Forlini's take on the tax incentive debate that's going on in Lansing. But first, let's talk about health care in Washington. There, There is still this bill in the Senate that would pretty radically change health care again uh, for the second time in seven years. I mean, that's, that's I think, one of the things that uh, gets overlooked here is that we just had this massive shakeup of the health care system with uh, the Affordable Care Act. Now, uh, Republicans want to shake it up again so that it looks a little more like uh, like they would like it to. Uh, you are a Republican who voted in favor of the Medicaid expansion here in 2013. I, I wonder from that perspective what you think of what they're proposing in the Senate and whether you worry about the future of this this program that here has been successful in the sense that it's gotten a lot of people covered who 
who weren't covered. Critics of it will say <clears throat> there are almost 700,000 people on it. That's way more than we predicted and so that's way more expensive than uh, than we thought it was but but what's your what's your take on what they're what they're talking about in the Senate? well let's back up to my vote why did I vote the way I voted because I, I didn't like the idea of it to begin with however it's kind of like the gov- the federal government was taxing the state of Michigan taxing our hospitals taxing our citizens they take the money I think it was better than a billion dollars you know I don't remember the numbers anymore but it was a substantial amount of tax dollars leaving Michigan. And for us not to say we want it back, it's kind of like saying, all right, you can tax gasoline, take it to the federal government, but we don't want that money back. Right. It's, just, it's a silly argument. So for me, that was a silly argument. It was basically dollars and cents. Um, uh, one thing you don't know is I'm a, for 35 years, I've been a health insurance agent also. I did not know that. So, so and, I have, and I have a business that I still employ people at, but the, the, the thing that I've seen with what's happened is we've got less choice today than we had before. We have higher costs than we had before. We have a federal bureaucracy, a larger federal bureaucracy, larger than we had before. And we, so we haven't solved the problem. And, and was, why do we have, quote, unquote, Obamacare? Because there was a problem. Right. There was a problem to begin with. So to ignore that is, would be foolish. But to say that this was the fix would also be foolish, I, I, in my mind, because I see the average it person. It some things. It, it broke some, some other things. things. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and there's people that would come to our office and not buy health insurance uh, years ago because it was not affordable. So they would just go without it, and guess what? They would go to the hospital, and the hospital would still take care of them, which right. is kind of like— And the rest uh, of us would pay and the rest for of us still pay that, for that care. Right. We pay for that. So— so there's got to be something else, and, and I, I almost wish that we would try to come up with a solution to the problem rather than take political sides on this. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't have designed Obamacare the way it was designed. I think there's a couple elements that are good. I think there's a vast majority of it because there's a federal bureaucracy behind it. I think it was bad. I think that there's taxation and there's regulations on companies that increase their rates to account for that. So I, I think that there's there is a better solution somewhere. Maybe it's we... Uh, we give health care for everybody for free at some point at just a health care clinic of some sort in the county. And anybody can go to that clinic should they wish. And, of course, there'd be the long lines and there'd be maybe not the quality of care that you'd like, but it's free health care. And it's for everybody, not just certain people. And there's not incentives for people not to make more income because they're going to lose their benefits because health care is very expensive. And maybe we just provide that as the safety net, and not and take the onus off the hospitals from having to accept people. So, so do you feel like that what 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 they're debating in the Senate gets us closer to that? Uh, you mean, know, most what, people the are one saying thing I that like, it's a sort of a mess. It's creating a bigger mess. Well, the one thing I do like is is to have an off the grid plan that you can purchase that is not part of the the, the network. And I kind of like that because it allows for insurance companies to be much more creative in providing care and, and, and bringing to the people something that they may want that's a little bit different. Because now if you go on the marketplace, the, the, the rates are so similar to one another that there really is no competition. I can tell you before Obamacare, there was, a, there was always some company out there buying business. There's always somebody out there trying to attract new clients and, and they tweaked their plan one way or the other to allow for that to happen and made insurance somewhat affordable, if you want to call insurance affordable. So 
that that's gone now in the marketplace and it's gone to large companies uh, very large companies have bought up all these small ones because they cannot go on the marketplace and be effective so i really believe there is a tremendous problem that was caused by this uh, by obamacare um i i think that there needs to be a solution yeah. somewhere and i wish it would be taken away from the politicians somehow and somehow it, it'd be designed in a way that solves problems it's an interesting way to think about it uh, you know my big worry, of course, is that if if they pass what's on the table in the Senate and it matches up with what they've done in the House and the president signs it, we go back to the we go back to the days where lots of people were uninsured, where people couldn't get uh, insurance and um, and were not eligible but they had for care. Medicaid. But they had care. You always well, had. They care. didn't have primary care. They had emergency care, and right. that was part of the cost driver. But, you, system, but you talk to any primary care doctor now, they are fed up with this whole Obamacare thing sure. and, and the paperwork behind it and everything. And so you're having fewer and fewer doctors become these primary care doctors. So now what do you do? So it's a, it sounds like a great plan. We're providing primary care, which I think is a great idea. But now doctors don't want to accept it. Doctors don't want to be a part of it because it's they just can't afford to practice yeah. or it's too expensive to practice. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. We got a lot of people who want to talk about Donald Trump Jr. and his emails. Let's start with Alan in West Bloomfield. Alan, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Thank you for yeah. taking my call. Go ahead. Um, I was just telling the screener that I said I, 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 I rarely if ever call in, but I, the more and more I listen to Republicans and I consider myself an independent, the more upset I get. I sat there for years watching Republicans from day one do everything they can to, to disagree with Obama no matter what he said. I remember Obama reaching out to Republicans saying, help me, we realize there's some problems with Obamacare. What do you suggest to fix it? And they came up with nothing. They sat on their dairy ears and did nothing. And now they sit here and blame everything on Obamacare when they didn't lift a finger. Seems to be something wrong. And also to sit there and defend anybody talking to a Russian representative. I'm not a, I'm not a politician. But common sense tells me I shouldn't do something like that without me ever even thinking about it. So to sit there and defend anybody that will meet with a Russian representative seems to me like you're just toting the line. And it upsets me, and it makes me want to vote against Republicans the next time. So, Alan, uh, Alan, before I let you go, I want to ask you a question. You identify yourself as an independent. What does that mean to you? I, I vote. I vote Democratic sometimes. I vote Republican sometimes in the past. I don't base it on whether someone's a Democrat or Republican. I base it on who can work with everyone in Congress to get things done for the American people. And so if you're comfortable, tell me who you voted for in November for, for president. Did you vote for I did Donald vote Trump? for Hillary in, in uh, the last election. Yeah. Okay. All right. The, uh, Alan, I appreciate the call and, and the comments. Uh, Anthony Forlini he seems upset with uh, the idea that you would defend Republicans both in the realm of health care and uh, this Russia investigation. Yeah, and I, and I understand. And, uh, you know, and that's part of the problem with politics today. In the in, in the last six years that I was in the legislature, the entire six years, yeah. I was in the majority. So we had a we were charged to lead. We had to lead and we had to make decisions. But if you look at the track record of Democrats or Republicans when they're in a minority, it's it's somewhat obstructionist, and if they can obstruct, they obstruct, and uh, they they tend to be the party of no when you know they can be, and, and and I think that's the nature of what's happening. That's a I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem with uh, districts that it, it, how we we district our you know I was in a fifty fifty district, so right. 
I got a pretty significant independent vote yeah. when You're I was in one a, of the few districts that that was actually competitive. I mean, what does yeah. that district look like now, though? It's about, it's about it's about fifty one percent Republican. But yeah. when I won, it was forty eight percent Republican. Right. And it got redistricted. It became a little bit stronger Republican. But I was upset about it because I liked the I liked the diversity of my district, and I think we would all do well by having a district like that because you have to listen to everybody, not just the safe corner that you're in, either on the left or the right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, thanks for the call, Alan. Let's go to Joanne in Plymouth. Joanne, welcome to Detroit today. Oh, hi. Hey. Um, he was just talking um, about um, the Obamacare bill and the new bill and how expensive Medicaid was and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you're talking about big government programs, and Medicare itself is actually the most efficient program out there. Number one, Medicare on its bill when a person has something done, says we will pay so much. So they do control costs, and they only have a 3% overhead. There's not another insurance company around that has a 3% overhead. So they are the most efficient. And I have never heard a person in my life say, because I'm in healthcare, oh, I hate Medicare. Right. Medicare is the most popular program. Nobody goes kicking and screaming into Medicare. Uh, so it is a popular program. Yeah. And so the fact of the matter is I worked at a hospital where People didn't have Medicaid, a lot of them, until Obamacare came along. For six years, nobody got a raise because the money was so short. At least now, those people now get care, number one. And number two, they are just starting to bring research out. I mean, you can't just weigh that wand and get insurance and get well. But they're now looking at research that's saying decreased hospitalizations, that people are in better health. So that research is just starting to come out at this point. So, yeah. you know, you may have to put money up in front, but when in the long run, you are saving money on people being healthier. Yeah. So, Joanne, um, Joanne, I think I, he's looking at the right track. I really appreciate the, the call. I mean, sometimes people get Medicare and Medicaid confused, and and that's totally that's totally understandable. I, I think one of the points that she's making there that's really important is that Medicare is a super efficient government program. It's, it's uh, you know, as she said, nobody goes kicking and screaming onto it. People run to it often. I, I, one of the things I wondered was why we hadn't thought about expanding Medicare as opposed to expanding Medicaid. I mean, they, they, yeah. and they operate differently, obviously. Um, yeah, they, they, well, in, in, and let me say both for the state of Michigan are very efficient. Even the Medicaid is a, is a privately run sure. organization. you got choices. And I think that there's good points with that because Medicare, there's a core program in place that's government funded. If you want additional care, you purchase it. You can buy it. You can. And buy I think it. there's something to say there because there's that there's that fundamental level that you can get from the government. If you want better care, if you want more benefits. You purchase it through the private sector, and I think that that is. I think she's onto a Some good point, and she's very right on many of her uh, points. Uh, to yeah, be honest, but. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Joanne, for the the call and the comments. Let's go to Charlie in Detroit. Charlie, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Um, Question for you, Stephen. Uh Um, How long do you expect our country is going to have to suffer the embarrassment of Trump and his administration? (laughs) And and then a comment. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me that our country can't get its act together to uh, provide insurance and, and take care of our people. We can't even get our act together to do gun control to save lives. Yeah, well, I, I would, I would fall into the same camp with you there, Charlie, about uh, about gun control. I mean, I think 
Uh, the Second Amendment says what it says, uh, but I, don't, I think there are some real common sense things that we could do to keep guns away from you know people who shouldn't have them that uh, the political system is unable to to resolve for for very clear reasons, right? I mean, the the one of the most powerful lobbies in this country is the National Rifle Association, which is not an advocacy group for gun owners. It is a advocacy group for gun manufacturers and distributors. Yeah. That is my that's my opinion, but. Uh, yeah. But Charlie, I appreciate that. I don't imagine you agree with that assessment of the NRA, uh, Anthony. But uh, I'll give no, you a chance to respond. Well, you know what? I mean, guns. I think it's been proven that the people that have caused these crimes, uh, these heinous crimes across the country, were people that uh, would have gotten a gun one way or the other. It wouldn't have come if we could have all the gun controls you'd want, and good law-abiding citizens wouldn't have the guns. And these people that are, you know, mental instability, or whatnot, which might be the bigger, which is the bigger problem. It is the bigger problem. Sure, that's they're going to get it. But so there's mentally unstable people in every country on the planet. This is the only one where sixty thousand, some of them a year, get killed. Isn't that because of the availability of guns? Not, no, I think I think it's I think it's because maybe our mental uh, mental health system in our country more is, is mentally ill. People? I think I think I think we have some issues here. <laughs> I, I, I think we do, and I think we've we've uh, we've we've lost something along the way in our country that is causing people to become much more violent and much more, uh, uh, I guess, cold to the whole idea of of killing. I I, I just I, I don't get it. But I certainly don't believe it's the gun. You know, somebody had to pull that trigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Anthony Forlini, former Republican state rep from Harrison Township, now operations manager for Macomb County Public Works. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks, today. Steve. I and appreciate it. Good luck out there with uh, Public Works. That's a big job. Uh, we're glad you're doing it. Well, thank you. All appreciate right. that. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about the music of 1967 and songs of rebellion with Don Was and Ann DeLisi. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.